going on, my friends? Welcome back to Dr. Drill's Making Motivation Podcast. It is the 10th of April 2019. 2020. Oh my god. It's the 10th. 10th of April 2020. It's a windy day. The sun's trying to come through, but it was snowing earlier. 48 degrees right now. But the winds are blowing like you wouldn't friggin' believe. And it's snowing. Lord only knows what's going on with that shit. So let's see. Uh, The pandemic quarantine. What do we got going down? What's new? Last night we played Scattergories again. We played with family. We did a Zoom conference. And for about an hour and a half, we went through, I think, ten, ten sets of words, lists of words. And had a great time. Had a great time. The Oberst did especially well, I think, because we've had quite a bit of practice over the past week ourselves, when as we've been playing nightly. So we beat out the competition, and I, I know that they're going to make a comeback, though, as they get used to the time and the, the rules of the game, and everybody's played categories before, but pretty cool game, and it's interesting to be playing it remotely. So that was fun. That was the highlight of our evening yesterday. I was at the office yesterday for four physical patients. That took me three hours, I guess. And right now, I'm on the way down to the office. As I go down every day, or at least every other day, I got one patient at one o'clock. And I got some trip to the bank to make, some paperwork to do, hopefully some checks to cash. That's what's going on with me. I'd love to get outside, so I hope the sun continues to come out, and I hope the weekend is nice and sunny. Tonight we're talking about getting some takeout, going back and forth between various places. We want to support locally, of course. We also want to get a deep, uh, you know, want to get the ideal meal. I don't know if there's such a thing during this pandemic. We're in a freaking car and a lot at the frequently attended um, park that I just passed. People will be out there walking and riding bikes and all that shit. Also, maybe some of the intel about the quote-unquote slipstream that I mentioned on yesterday's podcast might might have uh, trickled out into our collective consciousness. The notion that you could be walking on the most beautiful day, kids riding bikes by you, and as they're breathing, they're spraying out these droplets that they leave in their wake. I mean, not not much, nothing that I am particularly paranoid about, but you know, every day there's something new. Every day there's there's something new about this pandemic and the, the virus and our response to it. We're seeing some of the different strategies that 
nations are taking across the world, nations whose populations don't necessarily mirror the United States. For instance, I read something yesterday talking about how there could be a second wave of infection going through places like Malaysia and Taiwan, Singapore. These were the Japan. These are the places that had previously been put up, held up. Their response was very rigorous and look at their curve is flattening and that's what we want and well now they apparently a lot of these cases are due to travel people that have gone to China uh, or you know and come back and now these cases are propping up so it's crazy man it's fucking nuts I got students on my uh, A&P with Dr. O Facebook page saying that or doubting the information, saying we should all go back to class. And then we've got clinicians, people who are nurses in practice now for years, saying, not a good idea. This is what a lot, there's a lot of, hey, I'm an MD and this is what my hospital looks like right now. And it's some fucking scary shit, man. Scary shit. And now here I am at the uh, passing the slaughterhouse. JBS Services, whatever the fuck that means. I'll have to look that up. But this slaughterhouse here, it seems to be expanding. I talked about this before. The lot was empty, which typically it's the only place at work, food production. What happens though when somebody comes down at JBS with the coronavirus? You know, you've got a lot of people that work in these facilities that are willing to do this kind of work. They, they're pretty desperate. You know, so they would be coming in from, I know that with uh, Hatfield Meats, pork products, people would be coming in from Pottstown, they bus them in, they drive in, and this is their job. They'd be cutting up slabs of meat into various cuts or stacking things in the freezer or whatever, man. And anyway, they would be coming in from urban areas, right? Driving into the country from urban areas and going to work. And so living close together at home, they could come in, work in a food production facility and spread this thing. And then what do you do? We are, we seem to be way fucking behind with some of the, like the testing. I know Trump was on the horn yesterday saying, well, widespread testing is not necessary. And I think what that means is that it's just not practical at this time because we don't have enough tests. Of course, they're needed across the world right now. And so in terms of resources, you'd think that this is America, that we'd get our fucking resources, right? But apparently there's some evidence that we had, um, when the shit was hitting the fan in China months ago, we sold the shit out of masks and gloves and ventilators and everything to them. We sold a lot of our shit to them. 
So, ain't that interesting. That's why we don't have a lot of the materials here now, because uh, powers that be encouraged our industry, industrial sector, and let's say 3M and other providers of masks and filtration equipment and stuff, uh, go ahead and sell it. And, and there was like crazy rates of exporting these goods to uh, other countries. So now we don't have it. Like we didn't think it was going to happen here, right? So now it's happening here, and every day it fluctuates, right? Just like the markets fluctuate, the news fluctuates with people saying, oh my God, this is horrible, look at my hospital, look at New York, here are the levels. Uh, we don't know how many people are, have been infected because we can't test. And then another news source says, well, well they thought it was going to be worse than it, is. it has been. Now they're downgrading it from 100 to 200,000 people uh, dead to maybe 60,000. I don't think we have any clue. You know, we're used to being able to predict things a little bit better, to have better information. But since this is kind of a relatively new thing for America to be dealing with a pandemic in recent times, at least the past several decades, we just don't know. We just have no experience in this regard. Um, and things are happening so quickly that we're trying to figure out what's going to happen. But we have no, no, no you know, like, like uh, Dr. Fauci said, the virus decides. You know, we can do our social distancing and stuff, but the virus is ultimately going to decide what happens. Now, before we have some really effective treatments or a vaccine, the fluctuation of this virus is going to, you know, we can social distance and then we go back into work and school and all that shit, daycares, then what happens? Then there could be a second wave of infection. So you got to do this contact tracing thing, which essentially looks like, hey, you know, we've had, you've seen it at like, for instance, the Wawa couple Wawa's. Hey, we've, we've learned that there was somebody who uh, is positive for this and we have taken appropriate measures uh, following CDC guidelines and they're doing contact tracing where they say, okay, who are you? Who have you seen? Where do they work? Where do they live? And you're trying to, um, to trace effectively where this critter is, is going. Who's been exposed potentially and who who do they stand to expose? You know, I've said this before, everybody's got a, from a marketing perspective, they used to say that everyone's got a 250-person sphere of influence. I think that was pre-social media. I wonder what that level of influence is now. I'm way behind on that, at least a couple decades, because I remember getting a book called The E-Myth um, 20 years ago or more. And it was about that, you know, how do you whisper down the lane, hey, this is, I'm a good doctor, I'm a good business person, etc. So yeah, 250 person sphere of influence. So that's the con that's the basis of con of contact tracing. So that's nuts. You know, you hear about places like Sweden, they're letting all the young, healthy people go to work. 
and all the old folks are holed up in the house. And anybody who's got it, it's being quarantined. And it seems like a lot more of a dynamic method to deal with this, right? So it's great because you can still function. You're not completely shut down. I think we do have a problem in America and much of the world where we've just sufficiently scared everyone to want to stay inside and not risk going out and shames people for trying to run their business or justify going out to the store or whatever. I mean, I just read an article yesterday in the New York Times, doctor saying, don't go out. Only go out for essential grocery items. That's it. I mean, we're ordering food out tonight. Trying to get, as I mentioned before, we're, we're ordering food, some takeout. Now I'm thinking, shit, is that even a good idea in terms of exposures? If I go out and get a burger from Red Robin, should be an efficient place. You know, I'm sure that there are regulations and they're, that they're kind of a, a restaurant chain that they're like to think that they're running a tight ship. But, hmm. They got to take a freaking burger, cook it. They got to take the bun, pick that up, do that, make the fries, lettuce, tomato, crack an egg on it, whatever else we want. All these food items, all these, you know, they've been heated. They're under a salamander, which is that that uh, food heater on a stainless steel countertop. So they should be good. But that's a lot of people touching our food. It's interesting, right? So it's it's very crazy out there. Uh, you know, last week Trump said this is going to be a big week. You know, because there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of deaths. There's going to be a lot of infections. There's going to be a lot of uh, resources stretched in a public health sense. Now we're trying to figure out what happens and to you know what are we going to do? Oh Jesus! And here this is crazy. That's nuts. So we're watching, um, I told you we were watching Tiger King. So <clears throat> now we're watching Ozark. We're trying to figure out, this is Mandy and I, 11 o'clock at night, turn on our these series and binge watching a little bit, joining in because it's what everybody's doing. And it's actually really, really good. We're on the fourth, going on the fourth seat, uh, fourth episode of Ozark and pretty freaking good but one of the things that uh, just reminded me of the show is that I passed by a roadkill deer and there were these buzzards <laughs> picking on it and that was one of the things from Ozark where this family moves into this I, you know, kind of like a sleepy lake town uh, hillbillies but tourists coming in for the summer and the, they got some enemies already where the daughter, she's like 15 or 16 or something, she uh, ran across these boys who are kind of, I don't know if they're good or bad or whatever, but they're up to trouble and they keep taking like roadkill or whatever and throwing it on their yard and the buzzards come in and they pick away at the deer or the groundhog or whatever the fuck they got. So that was funny. 
But, yeah, it's really interesting, these shows. That's a great show, Ozark, so far. I love the character development already. I like the cleverness. There really are some clever people, some characters in there that are thinking at a high level. And it's very well written, obviously, and executed. So, yeah. Right before I pull up to the office here, I'm driving down Main Street, Lansdale, all these places that in the spring would be hopping right now. You got the Main Freeze ice cream joint. You got friggin' ooh, diner that normally would be flooded right now for lunch. People going in there getting some nice meals. 7-Eleven's got some people. People walking, they got their masks on, wrapped up in blankets and shit. Car lots empty. Very interesting. A little gas there, sorry. Um, it's just a little description of Main Street. What's going on? We got cars coming and going, people with masks. Interesting. So, before I pull up to the office here, I saw this article this morning talking about uh, the, you know, Rube Goldberg is, so he, I, I've heard the name before, like a Rube Goldberg device, looks like a Rube Goldberg contraption, so yeah, this is a, uh, a cartoonist who would illustrate these devices, would illustrate a contraption that would make, let's say, that would give your fill your dog's food bowl. And so that was how they... Um, the, the guy illustrated, I think he was an engineer, but he never made any of the contraptions. But anytime you've seen something like in the opening scene of... Um, in the opening scene of Back to the Future, where Marty is asleep and he throws a baseball and it lands in the catcher's mitt and it rolls over and it triggers this uh, device and the pulley goes up and goes down the swing arm and so on and so forth. That's a Rube Goldberg device. So apparently the the individual, the there's a woman who's kin to Rube Goldberg. She's family. And they put up this uh, contest, designing this contest that people can design something that takes a bar of soap and drops it into your hand. So imagine what that might look like. I was very inspired by that because I, I've always been fascinated with that kind of ingenuity, you know, that somebody is a tinkerer. In fact, I've been looking, trying to look up pages that have to do with tinkering. Like that somebody could take a microwave apart and pull out all the wires and fuses and gizmos and somehow use that to fix something else. I love that. I've always loved that sort of thing. I talked about the, the, uh, the book before, Junkyard uh, Planet. And it's about where things come from and 
you know, how salvage yards function. I've been in some junkyards in my past, going to pull out a transmission for this or that, or looking for a car part when I was a kid, or bringing my recycling there, where one time me and my buddies pulled all these beer cans out of this patch of woods by my, um, my buddy's house, and we filled the back of my pickup truck with it and drove it down there, and we got like, I don't know, 60 bucks or something like that. It's a lot of work for not a lot of payoff, but there are exceptions to that rule, and you know, there's people who know and will know more and more what something is worth. You know, the, the, I think the days of inflated prices and gouging, I mean, they, they'll, they're here to stay, but they're going to wane a little bit because people are going to have to make do, and we're talking about a, a, uh, a, de a depression-type situation where, as a result of this pandemic, the impact that it's had on our society is going to be significant, uh, has been, and will continue to be significant as we get a hold of this from a public health point of view. What is going to happen from an economic point of view? And that's the balance that you're going to hear. Trying to be struck more and more, how can we function in this sort of situation? And it's a good question. As I sit in my parking lot of my office, looking down what appears to be a barren and depressed street with nobody walking around. Of course, it's because it's windy and freaking overcast out. People want to be out. And hopefully we get some nice weather this weekend. But that whole Rube, Rube Goldberg device thing, I'm going to look up books on that. I'm going to look up images illustrations, because I love that sort of thing. And I think that that sort of American ingenuity, or, or yeah, not America, it's not unique to America, but it's part of that American dream, like making something from nothing. From the materials in your home, how can you make a device that drops a bar of soap in your hand? You know? I think that that's fucking awesome. And I think that that sort of thinking, that collaboration, that innovation, that making things work, that tinkering is absolutely wonderful. And it's what, it's the creativity at work there is what makes it all work. It makes it all beautiful. It makes It's what we'll need to put to work if we are going to get through this time um, intact with our sanity. So I'm going to look up that Rube Goldberg machine. I encourage you to do the same. Maybe we could talk about strategies. Just, just workshop it. How could we do that? How could we solve this problem? Start with just a, a mechanical device, uh, a contraption, and trying to make it work. Making it work. That's what I'm going to title this podcast. Making things work. How do we utilize in, in this fucked up situation? How do we make, make it work for us? How do we survive? How do we thrive? How do we break the pandemic monium? Right? The monotony of 
this situation? How do we extract ourselves from it, make the best use of our time, and innovate, overcome, adapt? Think about that. Love and respect, my friends. Hope to do a live podcast this weekend with some guests. Huh! <laughs>